Welcome to Outside the Glass, the Squash Podcast. I'm your host, James Zug. Today we have a wonderful conversation with the president and CEO of U.S. Squash, Kevin Klipstein. We're at the end of the 2016 Delaware Investments U.S. Open. Kevin and I sat down uh, and, and had a really interesting conversation about how he got into the game of squash and uh, the, the journey he had from from his first junior tournament to becoming the uh, CEO, president CEO of, of U.S. Squash. So really fascinating uh, and, and unexpected uh, bunch of twists and turns. So enjoy. So where do you want to begin? Oh, that was good. A lot of... Diet Coke addicts just went, ah, oh, I want one of those. <laughs> so, um, should we start about when you first learned about the game of squash? Sure. I learned about squash growing up in Rochester, New York, uh, at the Genesee Valley Club, where I probably started hitting tennis balls with tennis rackets on the squash court. And then... Uh, Did your dad play, your mom play? Like... Were friends playing? Like who? So I was probably pretty young, you know, ten or eleven, and um, my father had played sort of just casually. He went mm-hmm. to Williams College. He didn't play on the team or anything, but also went to Deerfield, and so he he was exposed to squash. And this club had squash, so at some point, I think he took me out there, and you know, it was in the, this is early '80s, probably 1980, mm-hmm. and uh, and there were you know wood rackets and all that, and so uh, taught taught me how to play. I have two older brothers, and uh, so we started started playing each other. And Were your brothers playing a long time before you, or were you, was this all sort of at the same moment that everybody went in? Uh, we're, we're all within three years of each other, or four years, and so we all started playing together. And yeah. um, uh, my older brother, Christopher, is two years older than I am, and, and he and I uh, pursued it a little bit more. And Fred yeah. and Carol Weimiller moved uh, to Rochester, I think around the same time, and uh, and sort of quickly gathered up as many uh, kids uh, the of of, yeah. of the members as they could, and and built a lot of momentum around a program. Was there much of a program before they arrived? No, I don't think so at all. So they must have been there in the in the late seventies because there was a whole crop of juniors that were a little bit older than uh, than mm-hmm. we were, um, and so uh, they they built up a lot of momentum and and really the Weinmillers sort of ended up essentially driving all of all of Rochester squash, which at the time there were more courts because it was hardball and uh, uh, it was a really robust robust community. I really I remember the 1980 Olympic Games, the Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, which is in in my home state, New York, and so it was sort of very real to us. And of course, uh, I mean, we had small black and white TVs, essentially, um, maybe a little bit more than that at the time, no cable, uh-huh. and so everybody watched the Olympics for those two weeks. And um, that was the year that Eric Hyden won uh, five gold medals in, right. in speed skating. That was the year uh, the Americans beat the Russians in ice hockey. I mean, it was a ridiculously inspirational time uh, during the Cold War. Uh, so, uh, so I was ten. Or, it was eleven at the time, and um, I remember uh, sort of thinking, "Well, I want to be Eric Hyden." Uh, but I don't know if there's any speed skating around here. So uh, I, I, it was a snowy Sunday morning, and um, I would sort of pretend to be Eric Hyden sliding up the road up to the take the city bus at the end of our street, you know, with your hands behind your back, leaning over, sliding up. And uh, I was headed to the city bus to go down to uh, the Genesee Valley Club to just, you know, play squash on my own because I was like, well, you know, uh, I want to be great at something, uh, and you know, squash is to me was accessible, and I loved it. And you could do it on your own, and so I went there. I, you know, so being able to do that, hop on the city bus, you know, and, and yeah. just go there and 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 do that was, I mean, something I started and 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 uh, did that from that point on. I mean, it was something that I could do on my own. I was fortunate that you know yeah. my parents belonged to the club, and I kind of 
made my way there, uh, and um, uh, I signed up. I I filled out the entry forms. I signed up for the tournaments. I arranged for my transportation, and um, and in that sense, um, uh, I th you know it was, it was a great experience. I mean, I played other sports uh, for for my school and things, but squash was something that I really you know very early on was really passionate about. So um, you know, it's it's uh, I sort of connect that with wanting squash to be in the Olympics and sort of having that stamp of legitimacy, mm -hmm. but also knowing that knowing the athletes as I do now, how much they deserve to be on the world stage, yeah. um, but also kind of connecting that to the inspiration that I took from it and saying, you know, that's there's meaning there and significance. So, you know, a lot of those things uh, somehow end up coming full circle, I think. Sure, it was a lot of group lessons. Uh, uh, a couple times a week uh, and then just kind of a lot of play in between and we were encouraged really early to play in adult leagues so we would play in the adult league teams as well wow. um, and then there were enough juniors playing in Rochester to, to have pretty competitive tournaments a couple times a year and sometimes kids would come over from Canada mm. uh, and compete so yeah. it ended up being um, pretty high level, pretty high level. Yeah. and uh, there were uh, probably fewer from Buffalo but certainly some from there and uh, normally it would be working with Carol on the court and Fred would be up in the gallery uh, giving, giving commentary although Fred uh, also um, would do a lot of feeding as well uh, and but he was a little um, you know a little bit uh, stroke production and, uh, and and more focused on the strokes and, and Carol sort of more focused on I, th I would say the strategy huh so they were sort of a combination like they each had their own strengths yeah, I mean, mostly, I mean, at the end of the day, what Fred and Carol uh, passed on um, is a love for the game and, and a love for uh, yeah. uh, uh, shepherding the game and, and embracing the community. And so um, they just, they, they did everything they possibly could for kids who expressed interest in the sport. Mm -hmm. And they sort of uh, gave, gave everything they had, really. I mean, um, yeah at Carol or Fred or sometimes mm -hmm. both would drive a group of kids to tournaments as far as Boston or New York, um, New York or, Philadelphia, yeah. um, out to mm -hmm. Ohio and uh, uh, there, there's no money exchange there. They were doing it because they were they were passionate about squash, they were growing the program. So um, mm -hmm. and they were coaching us and you know for 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 our group, we were a lot of sort of first-round losers and first-round consolation losers, and then you were out of the tournament. So it was sort of a lot of effort for not a lot of output, but getting that exposure was important back back in that right. day. Definitely a lot of free play time, for sure. We you know, spent a lot of time at the club on weekends. Uh, the problem with that is it, it became a bit of a competitive echo chamber where we thought we were getting really good, and then we would travel to... Rhode Island and uh, and get crushed in the first round and so kind of come back and re recognize that we have a lot to <laughs> lot to work on. So you know, in our world, we, we were getting really good. Um, uh, so, but yeah, that was, it was a lot of fun and and it was also fun because all the adults, you know, primarily men at the time, uh, were always so great mm. about um, playing with you, playing with us, yeah. and 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 liked getting to know us and, and enjoyed playing with us and sort of um, yeah. built a community around that. And, and you know, some of those players like Dick Rice are, are still playing actively right. in doubles and still real boosters for right. University of Rochester. So, right. uh, and they're, you know, like in many communities, uh, there are a couple core group of families who are really involved and engaged. And uh, um, I know Alex Whitaker's parents would take me to all sorts of tournaments mm. uh, if the Weimlers couldn't travel or... Um, uh, so it was just sort of uh, like it is today, uh, a bit of a lifestyle and a commitment, yeah. um, but certainly, um, certainly much less competitive. I mean, for me, when I was in my early teens, I had to get home from school, I had to walk the, feed and walk the dogs, I had to go do my paper route, and then I could take the bus and go play squash. So you had you a know? bunch of chores. So um, you, you delivered newspapers? And, and, yeah. The and, Rochester... Uh, the Times Union, I did the afternoon paper. Uh, the, the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, the DNC, was the morning paper that everyone read. The Times Union, my, my paper route was, I was fortunate enough to have it at um, uh, the, the local nursing home. So 
it was it was an inside paper route, so uh, which is important or not. <laughs> And it was it was it was not a long distance between homes. It was a part, you know essentially an apartment building. So, um, but not very good tippers, I can tell you. <laughs> so, but uh, so that's fun. Kind of a, a classic story. Do you but, remember your first squash tournament? I do. Uh, I do. Uh, I remember it really well. Um, <laughs> Sounds like it, it was a bad loss. It was, it, was, it, was, it was like sort of one of the greatest experiences, most memorable, special experience of my life, and um, uh, one that was sort of not that fun. So, uh, you know, playing your first tournament is a really big deal. And, uh, and so uh, I played a tournament, and uh, I ended up playing uh, Dave Rosen, and he, he was in Rochester, and I ended up going to work for USSRA at the time. and. Uh, played at FNM and is still involved at Harrow Sports and uh, so Dave was uh, had, has always been a fantastic player. He's like miles above me and and I went out there and where, I, where was this? This was at the University Club in Rochester and I I definitely got bageled in at least one game and just was kind of running around like a chicken with my head cut off and I had I had not played more than a couple months I think and um, and I remember afterwards. Uh, my dad was there, and which was remarkable in the sense that he probably has only seen me play squash um, maybe five times. So this was the first, obviously. And, uh, and we went upstairs, and we were kind of in the lobby area, and he said, Kevin, you know, come on over. You know, you know, I just want to you know, talk to you a little about something. And he pulled over an ashtray. You know, they had ashtrays at that time at these clubs. Pulled over an ashtray, and he said, you know, Kevin, this is this is the middle of the court. There's a tee there, and so what you want to try and do is hit balls to the corners and and position yourself in the middle of the court. And uh, that wasn't even something that had come come up yet. And so I think it's pretty funny because my dad was generally a, a terrible player and didn't really play, um, and was not really is sort of a father of that generation and that not particularly involved in you know their kids' sporting activities or anything right. else. And yet, you know, he sort of taught me the fundamental lesson of and strategy of squash. Um, so that, that I think that's, you know, it's funny that Dave's so involved that he just crushed my, you know, my aspirations. And then, you know, had that special experience with my dad. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I think he came once to a match at Cornell, maybe. Or he might have watched us when we went to University of Rochester because he was a... Um, a professor at the medical school there, and pretty involved in the school, and um, uh, and I he de so this, probably the second match he watched was I played uh, a local exhibition match. I think I was maybe thirteen or fourteen against Carol Weimiller at one of the uh, YMCA, and um, at the time maybe I was fourteen. Um, Carol and I were pretty close uh, um, level wise, level wise, and so. I didn't really understand the con the concept of an exhibition, and I was playing really hard, and I, I think I ended up losing. And throughout the match, I think I was even swearing, and um, basically the kind of behavior that I, especially in my role, would absolutely not tolerate would um, would pull uh, my son or daughter off the court, mm -hmm. and and there would be some pretty serious consequences. And that's exactly what my dad did, and um, and I, you know, I think from that point forward, you know, it was a non-issue. And um, he pulled you off during the match or yeah, at the end of it? Yeah, yeah. during. Yeah, so it's like this, you know, this, we're done. Um, and so, wow. um, I don't think he pulled me in between at a, had, during a game, like but all yeah, but um, after the game, he's. And so I think. Uh, that's important, and it's important to do, and um, it's important to recognize those things. And so, uh, wow. uh, it, kids need uh, those kinds of boundaries, and um, yeah. and I think um, uh, I'm glad he did it. And uh, um, did it ever happen again? Was that like a life lesson that that just stuck, or, or did, did it take more longer for you? To definitely a life lesson. The second to last match my dad watched was. My senior year, Rochester Squash Rackets Association Junior Championships. Now, not a very deep field, 
but um, there was there were some young upstarts, Chris Burns and Alex Whitaker, and and uh, a couple a year or two younger than I was, and so I was in the finals Sunday morning, and it was my senior year, and uh, uh, was, I was out late at a friend's house, you know, watching movies, and then probably didn't take the match that seriously, and I ended up losing, and my you know. I, I didn't expect my dad to come watch, and he, he ended up watching, you know, from the back row and whatever. And you know, afterwards, I was so angry, and you know, he had gone home. And when I got home, um, uh, I was expressing how upset I was that I lost, because at the time it really meant a lot to me. Mm. And I had won it a, a few years in a row, and I just, you know, it would have been would have been nice and nice capstone to uh, a very tiny junior career. And um, uh, and I remember he sort of took me out out in the backyard and we sat down and and he said, "Well, you know what? You know, uh, I just talked to a friend, Lily Gutman, and you know, told her what happened, and uh, and she said, you know, good, you know, needs to learn how to lose." And um, and he said, "Well, you know, why do you think you lost?" And you know, I had all sorts of excuses. Yeah. And he said, "Well, you lost because you weren't prepared." It was your choice, and you didn't prepare. He didn't make you prepare. That's the key. Mm-hmm. He didn't be like, "Hey, tomorrow's your big match." And, like, be on top of you. You you were in charge, and blew it. What was the last time you saw you play? Pretty sure he came to uh, a one college match, either in Ithaca or I really I wanted my parents to come watch one college match. I mean, at the time, parents did not watch college matches at all. So that's right. You were that was very common. To be like yeah, once or twice, maybe once a season they'd see you play. Yeah. So and so I think it was senior year. Say, hey, you should come down to Ithaca or what have you, or or we're competing at Rochester. against Rochester yeah. at Rochester. You should come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, actually, they. Our, my freshman year, we played Rochester at Rochester, and after the match, we went to my parents' house and they hosted right, the team dinner. for dinner. Right. I'm not sure if they actually went to the match though. <laughs> So, uh, but we had a great dinner. We had right. a great time, totally. and uh, totally. you know, it was it was, uh, totally. you know, it was nice to be able to sort of share your family with your teammates and vice versa. You totally. know, and I think a lot of that still happens today. Where, uh, on the positive side, parents are are really involved and 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 you know know your teammates and and yeah. um, and yeah. are very supportive. So yeah. you know, there's a big positive to it, um, uh, but. There's certain things that seem a little overwhelming too. Well, I definitely used uh, squash as a filter to select uh, where I was um, applying to colleges, and uh, so I, I definitely wanted to play in college. And um, there were other filters applied by my family, like my dad said, Dartmouth is just way too far. Way too far. Yes. So. Um, oh. Uh, but uh, there's a big difference maker in um, in meeting Peter Briggs at Cornell, and um, uh, that made a made a big difference in my wanting to go there. And it's also just a pretty spectacular place. So I had a great experience there. Um, so what do you remember, like your first practice or like you know freshman fall, sort of adapting to the the team? You hadn't played on a team, right? I had not really played on the yeah. team. I mean, we had pulled together uh, some some high school yeah. activities, but it, it wasn't extremely competitive. And it, I had wanted actually to go to boarding school because to take that team uh, and have that team experience. Because a lot uh, back then, most of the kids who were in boarding school also played junior squash. Right. So uh, on the you tournament scene, so yeah. saw them a lot, and that was definitely something uh, I wanted to be part of. So when I was at Cornell. Yeah, absolutely. I remember going down. It was. It must have been. It was probably the last week of August, so it was blazing hot. Uh, Teagle Hall at Cornell. It was down two big cement staircases, mm-hmm. and I heard these huge screams. And it was like ah, and then you know a bunch of balls thwap 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 ah, huge screams, and uh, I kind of peeked down and I saw on the court. I saw Richard Chin and Ming Tsai were just 
beating up on each other, um, killing the ball, dripping in sweat, and um, I was, I was, I think I was so intimidated. I just kind of left. I was like, "This is, this is crazy." Who are anyway, these guys? Yeah. So, um, wow. but we came to. We had a really good freshman class: uh, Richard Chin, uh, John Mao, um, Sarge Gardner, and uh, and myself, and Kim. Who, uh, uh, and so. You know, Pete was kind of finding his legs from a recruiting perspective, and yeah. um, right. and the team ascended um, pretty Good. steadily then. Yeah. It was fun. My brother was playing at the time; he's two years ahead at Williams. Yeah. So my freshman year, uh, Williams used to host a uh, a bunch of teams early uh -huh. in the season. So that was a nice early test when we played played them. Uh, my roommate or uh, my best friend on the team ended up playing my brother and lost, and then. Um, I ended up playing uh, uh, their co-captain, who was a senior, um, ended up being uh, for all, and I was the last match on. So wow. I was sort of put in that position pretty early as a freshman, and uh, ended up pulling it out. So that was that's probably my most memorable college uh, experience. And it happened in the first the yeah, first couple months. For, first, yeah. So that was that was pretty fantastic. Wow. Nice, nice to get a win over over Williams. Yeah. You know, do you have any memories of? Uh you know, traveling and, you know, off-court stuff. With yeah, I mean, these, those are definitely some of my, my best memories. I mean, traveling with the team is pretty different than the teams travel, uh, travel now. So these were small vans, the yeah. coaches driving the van. That's right. And uh, you really barely have room for the players and all the bags. And, uh, of course, you know, the freshmen are all the way in the back uh, with no room at all. So it was Richard Chin, John Mao, and I in the back. Richard Chen and I both failing in biology and um, trying to study on the way way home late Sunday night back to Cornell. Uh, so uh, yeah, definitely, and, and sort of the culture of, of sort of being on a team in an individual yeah. sport was really special, and we were lucky yeah. to have you know, great seniors uh, and uh, kind of throughout, just mm -hmm. a fantastic experience. Uh, we definitely had had our, uh, our share of uh, close uh, close calls. One time, our van coming back from F and M basically did a 360 on the highway and skidded off the uh, skidded off the highway and kind of came to a stop in the median, and um, so that was that was a little crazy. And was uh, that snow and ice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you graduated, what 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 did you end up doing? You know, squash wise, did you stop stop playing or did you you know what was the next part of your squash uh -huh. journey? Oh, I, I I didn't touch a racket for um, at least more than a year. I didn't really play at all. I, I um, traveled around the country with with uh, seven friends. Uh, we bought an RV and traveled for three months cross country. Uh, then I, I took a national outdoor leadership school semester course in Lander. Um, no, I, this was out in um, in the Pacific Northwest, so uh, Olympic Mountains and the Cascades. And uh, how long was that? That so was um, ninety-five days, and you were you were out for the you were out, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow! So that was backpacking. Fantastic! Yeah. It was something I had always wanted to do and never had yeah. been able to work into. That's right. Things, days, and yeah. so I just thought, if I don't do it now, I never will. And that kind of led me down a path um, where I, I applied for some some jobs with um, the Park Service and others. So I worked for uh, the. Um, through program uh, with the National Park Service, so uh, I ended up uh, getting a role down at Big Bend National Park, down mm -hmm. on the border of uh, wow. the Rio Grande. Yeah. So, uh, uh, literally, um, my duty was to uh, police the campground and make sure people were paying their dollar twenty-five or something per night. Campground right on the Rio Grande, <coughs> uh, hike the trails, um, make sure they were good, and and we drove down the Rio Grande. And um, there were also commissioned park rangers there, and uh, which means they carry a gun. Um, and so all we did when we drove the roads along the river was if we saw something suspicious, we radioed in and left. <laughs> so, uh, so that was, that was a cr an incredible experience. And then um, uh, by that following summer, I basically had no money and I was driving out to... So you, that was a seasonal thing, just for the just spring? Just spring season down Cause it, in Because nobody, that, does it sort of wind down in the summer because it's so hot? Winds down in the summer, so they, they, they staff up seasonally. Mm -hmm. And then also at the time, the, the interior department was doing a lot of cuts. And so 
wouldn't wouldn't be hiring any. So your job got cut, or yeah, there never really was one. So I decided to move out to Seattle, and on my way, I was visiting with friends in Colorado, and this is pre-cell phones and and all that. Somehow, uh, Peter Briggs um, tracked me down at 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 a friend's place. I was staying there for a few weeks, and he said, "Clipper, what are you doing?" I said, oh, well, Pete, I'm, I'm moving out to Seattle. He said, no, come work for me. You make a ton of money, and then you can go out to Seattle. And uh, that was a... Yeah. Where, where were you at that call? I was in, um, I was outside of, uh, I was in Edwards, Colorado, sort of uh, near Vale. Um, yeah. St- uh, just living with some friends for a couple weeks on my way out. I was very focused on the... Um, on the environment and yeah. um, you know, working in roles like the Park Service or yeah. other other uh, types of organizations. So I had been doing a lot of applying, but again, back then, no internet, no, yeah. you know, yeah. you really have to kind of go there and then yeah. you know, knock on doors. And yeah. so that was my plan. So when you got to Seattle, you were gonna, you were gonna try to go work for the National Park Service or, or you know, any, somewhere any type in the environmental, of, yeah. 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 Yeah, so that was, that was my plan. I turned down a job and then things didn't work out, so that was, um, so you, you know, thought maybe you can get back into one, that yeah. or something similar. That's right. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I didn't really have even money to make a deposit on an apartment or anything like that. Right. So when Pete called me, it was sort of like okay, uh, it was like a sign. So you so turned around. Turned around and um, and Pete was right. Uh, although he he did say he and Rob Halgan was the assistant, and I was taking Demer Holleran's assistant job when she left to go coach at Penn. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, we're going to work it out. You know, Rob will find you a place to live. Everything will be fine. So fast forward, when I got there, I ended up sleeping in the pro shop for about three weeks. And um, uh, But, uh, again, I think that was just a different era. And um, uh, it ended up being the best, um, you know, the best winter, great mm-hmm. people at that club. And um, I got a chance to coach juniors and travel with juniors and, seen a lot of those juniors go through playing college, captain their teams, right. have kids, right. and it's just really, it's really this neat was the, to uh, see that. the winter of 88, 89? This yeah. was, no, I graduated I mean, sorry, 90, uh, 90, 90, 90, 90, 91, 92? 92, 92, 93, 90, 90, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, with the hardball softball thing, was that sort of happening, or yes, was yeah. it still kind of hardball-ish? Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was definitely both. Yeah, so, right. You know, Denver was around shredding me in both, yeah. both yeah. hardball and softball. Right. And she left, and Vic Hoyt ended up being the other assistant, yeah. uh, um, and and she's a fantastic person, so funny. Right. We had a great time. I had a dog, so my dog hung you out. You had a dog. Me. You had a dog the whole time. Um, or did you get a dog once you got to Appalachia? So in the park, uh, the Rangers found a stray dog, a uh, stray puppy, wow. and. Um, Wow. And they were gonna um, shoot it yeah. because what are you gonna do? It was really the middle of a desert, and um, and I you know just kind of broke my heart. And you know, I grew up with dogs. My dad was on the board of the Humane Society, and I just said you know I, I really want it. Of course, it was against Park Service policy to in their housing. So we were we were really um, remote in Big Bend, uh, for example. I drove uh, 35 miles round trip to get my mail. Uh, we drove 200 miles round trip to get groceries. So it was really the middle of nowhere. So there wasn't necessarily anyone looking over our shoulders. So it took in the dog named Cody, and uh, it was sort of a German Shepherd mutt. Mm-hmm. And um, and so Pete ended up getting me the golf pro's apartment at Appalamas, and and so we walked the golf course and oh, nice. had a, had a great great winner and he'd come down to Cody would come down to the pro shop during the day and bite all the kids and did he sleep in the pro shop with you on the couch for yeah. three weeks oh uh, yes yeah yeah so I was you know it was, it was great really yeah. memorable really memorable experience so in the spring Pete and I flew down to Florida took a week off and golfed and then um, wow. and then I uh, loaded wow. up my car drove home Rochester picked up my stuff and, and drove uh, pretty much straight out to uh, Seattle. So he had, why didn't you stay at Appalamas? Well, Was it I, really a one-year thing or, or were you like, I, I want to get out of here and I really do want to go out west? No, I was just very focused on, on getting out west and, um, and it So just, you, it, was, you, it was always that way, like I'll, I'll do it for the winter but I'm not going to... Yeah, I, it wasn't really, really my ambition and um, uh, so... 
Interesting. It was it was great, great at the time, and yeah. it was a great experience. And obviously, that program has been built up over the years, and and sort of is a model of of success in so many ways. That's right. right? I mean, yeah. how many pros have come through that program? Totally. Yeah. Um, and so I got out to Seattle, and uh, uh, again, no cell phones. I you know, ended up on Mercer Island. Went to a payphone, called my my cousin, and said, "I'm here in Seattle." She said, "What?" And she said. You know, come on over, and I lived with her for a couple of weeks. I got an apartment because I had some money, and then I um, I knew Paul Siante was out there, so I thought, well, to kind of get to know some people and try and find work or what have you. I wasn't really thinking squash. I was just thinking, you He's know, a friend. network. Yeah, yeah right. He, he had coached my brother, and I showed up, and of course, Paul, being Paul, gave me a big hug. He said, said I mean, really didn't know him at, at all. I just I knew he knew my brother, right. and um, and he said, "Oh, Kevin, it's so great to see you. What are you doing?" I said, "Well, you know, I just got here. I, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to be looking for work." And he said, "That's so great. I'm leaving. Take my job." And so, you know, literally a couple weeks later, Paul had moved back east, and and uh, he had he had uh, worked out and arranged with two clubs out there. So I ended up being getting the teaching pro job at those clubs. So Friday nights I would drive down to Tacoma and play at the Y. So we would, the deal was all these guys would want to play and we put $20 at the front of the tent and if I won, I could keep it. And that was, and then we'd go have dinner. So it's a great community down there. And yeah. um, yes, it's the best. And so, so inadvertently, you became a squash pro. Inadvertently, a totally, second time over. Totally unqualified uh, squash pro. But then I got serious about playing, and I got into it. And one of the guys, just very randomly, was a Nigerian named Remy Omiyai, and um, he was a, a Nigerian national champion in the uh, late '70s. And he, you know, he had you know a bunch of businesses and. Uh, he had a big cell phone, you know, that back when people didn't have cell phones, and uh, and uh, and he was completely unfit and out of shape and undisciplined. But he had the hands of of, uh, of a genius. I mean, he he had such great racket yeah. skills, and um, yeah. and so just it was great. I met him, and then he basically he taught me how to play softball. And, was um, everybody playing softball then in yeah, Seattle? Yeah, like, so that was 93, 94. So yeah, there was no hardball there. Yeah. And, um, yeah. uh, and it was, but you were on hardball courts, though? No, softball. Okay. Yeah, softball. Good. So okay. it was a brand new club, three courts. And uh, and so we played probably twice a week, and then I played Chris Burroughs, and mm -hmm. um, I played um, uh, uh, a lot of great players at the time out there. Um, Hugh LeBosier yeah. would beat me every week. It just really drove me nuts. It was just hard, low, tight rails from hardball days. <laughs> just really, I'm not sure I ever beat him, wow. which is remarkable. And um, wow. but Remy uh, really, uh, I got pretty good. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, at one point, I said, "Well, I'm going to try try and make the national team in 1995. Like, I'm going to make a go at it." And I think that's pretty common. You know, yeah. you're sort of giving some time to the sport. You said, "Well." I might as well make a push for it, and things were sort of at the time not particularly well organized at the USSRA. And knowing what the path was to try and try out for the team was kind yeah. of who you knew, or if you happened to call the people at the right time. And especially being on the West Coast, yeah, you sort of say yeah. no idea. And right. you know, looking back, uh, um, and I was I was calling Richard Chin saying what's you know what's the pathway to this what do yeah. I need to do in order to try and even have a chance at this, um, and um, so that was pretty actually pretty frustrating. Uh, it ended up mostly being based off just national results. So yeah. if you didn't have a good result there, yeah. you weren't even invited to the trials, right. which was kind of frustrating. Because say well, at least just make it transparent. Make it transparent or. or is there a reason to not invite someone to a trial if you're going to have it? So that that frustrated me, and that kind of carried that with me um, into this role 20 years later to say, well, why disenfranchise people? Let's be inclusive. Let's, let's be inclusive. Be let's make it transparent. Yeah. Let's get the criteria in early, and let's encourage people. And so, yeah, right. Um, right. You know, I think the elite athlete program now is sort of like uh, the solution to you know what the problem was back then. And uh, did you play in a bunch of tournaments up and down the West Coast? And oh yeah, 
and nationals in 95 i think was or 94 was 600 players in the yeah. bay area yeah and, oh, in san francisco uh, yeah and uh i remember i played i played will carlin i uh i think i won a good first round match and played will carlin and, and you know pushed him pretty hard but ended up losing so at the time i felt good about that and right. um right. Uh, and then at one point i i took the month of december off and went to Australia and just played a bunch of players in Sydney for uh, for a month, and uh, wow. it was sort of the end of the league season there. Yeah. And uh, you know, you can just pick a guy off the street in Australia, and he could beat you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like totally humbling. But I kind of I I sort of learned how to hit the ball there. Yeah. Um, Did and, you work uh, with anybody there? Was there a pro that you kind of latched onto, or not really? Richard Chin. Um, I kind of uh, I ended up. Um, Staying for a while with a friend I made uh, in the in the park service role. She was Australian. No way. So I stayed with her in Sydney, and then she, you know, it was a small apartment, and she was living at home. So it's like, okay, you know, I'm gonna seek other accommodations. And Richard Chin had given me the name of a guy named Glenn Pearson, and his family um, owned a squash club. And so, uh, you know, again, kind of called him up and said, hey, can I come by? Lakemba squash and fitness, um, or Lakemba squash and tennis, mm. and uh, and you know his family lived in the club upstairs, and uh, showed up and and I, I basically lived at it, uh, with him for um, for a month, and they were so generous. I mean they were incredible, and he would take me to league matches and he would play with me and and um, you know a year later he ended up coming to the states and traveling. What was the um, uh, you know, there's sort of a West Coast tour. Was, I think it was the fin, sponsored by Finn, a racket company. It was sort of the Grand, the Grand Prix. Prix. Yeah, in the summer. Yeah. 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 So I yeah. had moved on past squash, but he came and he stayed with me, and um, uh, so that was a great connection. I had a great time. Yeah. Uh, and kind of took my game like two or three levels up. Yeah, you're um, right. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, played nationals, which were in Seattle, and then I I went on and found a new. Uh, I I kind of wanted to kind of move on to whatever I was going to do as a career. Yeah, because it seemed like those first couple of years you you had kept on like trying to go get it a, a career, but then you, you did all these other things yeah. that were yeah. natural for what you wanted to be doing, and then you keep on trying to get it. Mean, right. you know, like right. it, it took a couple of years for you to get get it out of your system or to... Yeah, I don't regret it get, for a bit. I mean, it was so special at these clubs, uh, sort of a different community on the west coast where mm. I was coaching I literally could coach uh, uh, have a lesson with a policeman a city council member a federal judge uh, a former rugby professional athlete uh, literally all within a day so uh, my my um, I'm not a particularly quick-witted person but uh, when uh, hmm. Tom Zilly is a federal judge and the federal uh, uh, you know house was right next to the club and we would play um, once or twice a month, and uh, he's still playing in nationals. I think he's in the 80s. No um, way. And uh, um, uh, I would say, you know, uh, Tom, I don't know if I called him Tom or Mr. Zilly, probably. Judge, Judge Zilly. Yeah. Mr. Zilly, um, you know, you're in my court now, so, uh, so that was, the rules. was a good time. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, it was it was incredible experience. and just sort of met you know Seattle was at the time smaller I think than it was now yeah. and Microsoft was just emerging yeah um, right and um, right and Starbucks was sort of yeah. know, emerging and so Amazon hadn't been started yet uh, so uh, it was really the grunge scene uh, yeah and, Nirvana Pearl Jam so it's a really you know this it's a wonderful squash community it still is so then you uh, in '95 you left '96. As a teaching pro? Uh, I think it was 95. Um, I hung up the racket and I got an internship at uh, a event production company called OneReel. They, they run. So I kind of had, I felt like I knew everybody in the community and because through Squash. And I had, yeah. I sort of did a lot of <clears throat> influential interviews, if you will. And I had sort of people who I would go to and say, I got, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. and. Uh, I'm not a doctor or a lawyer, so what yeah. am I going to do? And um, the bottom line question is, what do you like to do? And, and I really like events. Um, I like the experience uh, of events. I like the idea of people having experiences as communities. 
um, and sort of not watching TV or not being on the, you know, the computer. So, um, so I w went and worked for basically the biggest event production company as an intern, mm -hmm. and they run a, a couple things, but their main thing is called Bumbershoot, yeah. which is um, a yeah. big arts festival, Labor Day weekend, and so yeah. that was an amazing experience. Wonderful people at the organization, and, and um, uh, you know, people I still keep in touch with, and uh, uh, the internship ended. It's a small nonprofit. They sort of expanded in the summer and contract, so um, I ended up getting uh, kind of an unpaid job with um, Rick Ahrens, who had played at Cornell, who uh, <laughs> was um, had tried to publish t Junior Tennis Magazine with Jay Prince. No and, way. Uh, and uh, so uh, Rick and Jay were f uh, tennis friends yeah. and, and roommates in at Cal. And then Rick left Cal, went to Cornell, got converted from tennis to squash, and became an amazing squash player. Hmm. Um, and uh, so Rick was at a, at a, at a company uh, called Wizards of the Coast, made Magic the Gathering a trading card game. He ran the events department and I was like, I'll work for, for nothing and he, he let me do it and then, you know, a month or two later he ended up being able to, um, being able to hire me. So uh, that hmm. worked out. It was great, great experience. That company ended up uh, also making the trading cards for Pokemon, right. uh, and um, and the company ended up being bought by Hasbro. I had left since then, but it was it was a pretty cool experience, and we we actually tried to take Magic: The Gathering and make a pro tour out of that, and we got a big sponsor, MCI, which kind of got me into sort of the sponsorship world. Mm -hmm. So ProServe was consulted, got ended up consulting for us because we actually got it on ESPN, and. Um, uh, we were sort of televising these trading card games. It's sort of, you know, 15 years ahead of televising poker. Uh, right, right. And uh, but right. people were playing, and they were playing tournaments in in this, and it was sort of genius in in creating this experience outside of the the actual trading card mm -hmm. in order to sell more cards. So that was a lot of fun, and uh, and that's how I transitioned and ended up leaving Seattle to go work at, at ProServe um, uh, in in basically sports uh, and sponsorship marketing. Right. So when did you leave? When did you leave Seattle? Um, I left Seattle in 1997. And moved to Washington D.C. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you do at ProServe? So I was in the consulting group. So uh, we um, had corporate clients who wanted to uh, invest or leverage their um, uh, their sponsorships. So we would either. Um, uh, make recommendations and what they should sponsor, uh, negotiate the deals for them, come up with their activation plans, mm -hmm. and in many cases actually do those plans. So um, we had some great clients, uh, and uh, uh, it was it was uh, really valuable because I was on the agency side working with a bunch of different types of clients with a lot of different sports properties. So everything from NASCAR to um, America's Cup sailing to uh, NFL to um, to golf uh, and tennis, obviously. So um, it just, I, I ended up seeing a lot in a very short period of time. And um, uh, one of our clients was Compact Computer at the time. And so they had Sting, who was a spokesperson for him. So we got to do some really, really fun stuff. Um, and they also sponsored America's Cup team. And so uh, uh, I was able to, uh, you know, that, was, that was a great experience. So you went down to New Zealand for down. a month or two? Uh, not that long. I was sort of I was the advanced team, so uh, and I, I had already left ProServe by the time America's Cup came around, and uh, kind of got into the, the the technology side of of of, of what Compact was about, and um, uh, ended up getting a, a job um, at Sun Microsystems. So then I moved out to um, San Francisco, mm. uh, and so I kind of what they say is go in house. You know, so your right. agency side, you kind of go do it on the corporate side. So right. uh, there, it was in their brand marketing group. When did um, you When did you leave ProServe and go to Sun? In two thousand. So um, so they had a Formula One sponsorship with McLaren Mercedes. Uh, and then we ended up doing um, launching MLB.com and consolidating all of their 30 websites into one. So we were the technology partner, and so uh, I would work with sort of the sales and, and technology team, and I was the marketing side of things. So we would say, well, what marketing benefits are we going to get out of it? How are we going to leverage it, et cetera? So it was a really interesting time. I mean, it was sort of 
kind of a, uh, it's called, I think, MLB Advanced Media. Hmm. Um, it was sort of, they were definitely ahead of their time or ahead of any of the other major leagues. And right. we did some work with NHL at the time also. And then, hmm. um, and then I, I got into a training program at Sun called uh, Six Sigma. So it's sort of, um, um, more operational side of things. So I did that within the marketing department for a few years, got that training and um, ended up leading project teams, which essentially focus on improving uh, efficiency and effectiveness. Right, process, yeah. yeah. Um, when you uh, started wearing a bumper shoot all the way through DC and San Francisco, what happened to your squash? Did you stop completely? Did you join a club? Uh, you, you know, like, were you playing every day, every month? Like, what, what happened to squash I, I was, I was kind of in and out of the game. Yeah. You know, I would, I would um, you know, when you're working really hard, I think it, it could be hard. If it's convenient, um, yeah. it works. If it's not, it's, it's more difficult. And um, so I played leagues in D.C. Um, what club did you play uh, for and where did you join? So, oddly, our office was a block from the university club in Washington, D.C., but... For some reason, I didn't even consider joining, and I joined Chevy Chase Athletic Club, which had one converted racquetball and one hardball court. And it's far away. And from, it's like a long drive away. So where were you living? I was living in um, Adams Morgan. Yeah, so it doesn't make any it sense. Made it, zero, it made no sense at all, but that's why I'm so impressed with kids these days in their 20s, because they really, they're generally pretty tuned into life. and. Uh, um, uh, I was probably less so. So, uh, but it was an awesome experience. I mean, it was, again, great guys. Even Madge Madden was playing back then, and he was on our A team, and we won the A league. And wow. Uh, wow. it was it was a lot of it was a lot of driving, yeah. unfortunately, but a lot you know a lot of fun. Um, and uh, so played leagues in DC. Um, uh, didn't play. I played on and off in in uh, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Where I, did you live? Uh, I lived um, Noe Valley, and then uh, moved over to um, closer to Pacific Heights. So, but our offices were down in Menlo Park. So, oh. Pacific Athletic Club, I would play there on the way home. So right. I was starting to play pretty regularly. And so, I think the only lesson I took as an adult, the only one I've taken so far, was from Richard Elliott. At one point, I was sort of kind of getting back into the game. I thought, you know what? I should probably take I should take a lesson. I really, act, even though I was a teaching pro, I actually really don't know what I'm doing. So and uh, it was good. So you took one lesson. I took one lesson. And <laughs> Richard's a great guy, and um, right. uh, I'm still taking shortening up my volley swing uh, as a consequence uh, to very success. Um, uh, you got to take a le- another lesson then. Might have your game again. That would be helpful. Every twenty years. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, we're, yeah, I started getting back into it because um, of playing a little more regularly there. And then our offices moved up to the San Francisco and I played out of the Bay Club. And mm-hmm. Mark Allen was there at the time, so that was, that was fun. Yeah. And then I played Nationals in 2003. And uh, we, we started, my wife and I, I got married in the interim. And then my wife and I started thinking about moving back to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we ended up doing that. And you did that after you took the job at U.S. Squash or before? No, I, uh, my wife got um, a position in New York City, uh, and I ended up being able to work for Sun in New York, so I kind of transferred oh, my location. Right. And I did that for a little more than a year. Um, and uh, at the time when we were moving, the position had come up, and um, uh, I, d- I didn't get it. Palmer Page right. uh, was hired, and right. then... Um, uh, when Palmer uh, was going to move on, I got a call and, and, and was asked, is this something you're still interested in? And I, and I said, absolutely, which I took as a good sign. Yeah. I had been doing, I'd been looking for a bridge out of the corporate world mm-hmm. and into um, nonprofit world. So I had joined uh, a few uh, national boards in the interim. I, um, I had been doing some work in the Sun Microsystems Foundation. Mm-hmm. And so trying to get a little bit more experience across those things so that if, if the right role came up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it was just sort of, you know, 
I would say just really serendipitous that you know, the opportunity came up mm-hmm. when I was really kind of looking towards something in the nonprofit world that leverages sort of you know for-profit experience. And I would I would call U.S. Squash sort of right on that line where you know we're an organization that is is runs as a business but is a nonprofit with a, a nonprofit mission. Right. Um, when did you first think about the job? You know, was it when Craig stepped down and you were like, oh, that's interesting, or had you thought about U.S. Squash, U.S.S.R.A. previously? You know, when Craig was running it, you. I ha- I rarely read Squash magazine, and somehow I must have seen it at the club, and I I was flipping through it, and there was an advertisement for the executive director role of U.S. Squash. I looked at it, and I kind of laughed, and I said, ha, you know, I should do that, and then I was like. I'm totally qualified. I should do that, and uh, so I um, I reached out to whoever the contact was um, at the time. Um, uh, Peter Lasusa was doing the search. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been hired to do the search, and he said, "Well, why don't you have lunch with Kevin Jarnigan? Do you know him?" And I knew Kevin obviously, and from having. Uh, well, well, I was out in San Francisco, yeah. and, and, you know, we had lunch, and um, it kind of went from there. Mm-hmm. So if you hadn't read our wonderful magazine, you might not have known about it. It, it, I, it just was definitely was not on my radar at all. Yeah. I mean. We'd like to thank everybody who helped bring you this episode of Outside the Glass, especially our producer, Grant Irving. Outside the Glass is brought to you by SquashProShop.com, our source for equipment for badminton, racquetball, paddle tennis, and, of course, squash. SquashProShop.com carries a great selection of squash rackets, sneakers, goggles and grips, balls and bags from all the top manufacturers at the lowest prices. They offer fast and free shipping on orders over $25. In stock now are the new TechStream rackets from Prince, including the TechStream Pro Warrior 600, which is used by Rami Ashour. Also now in stock are the new Dinergy AP Series rackets from Technofiber, which are used by Miguel Angel Rodriguez, the Colombian cannibal. They carry a full line of footwear from ASIC, Adidas, Salming, and other manufacturers. For the best selection, prices, and service on the Internet, visit SquashProShop.com.